I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 41, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Ingle, volume 1, pages 33 to 49. Chapter 2, The Early Church, The Rise of Christianity. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born in the reign of Caesar Augustus. The Roman Republic had come to an end. The imperial empire stretched from the Atlantic in the west to the Syrian desert in the east and from the Nile cataracts to the North Sea and was racked by decades of civil war, plague, famine. In addition to these political and demographic problems, there was the more fundamental issue of moral reform to counter the state of dissipation and anarchy into which the Roman family and public morals had fallen. And a Christianity, which brought the world not only a new and true faith, but also a new standard of morality that was absolutely revolutionary in its time. For the Church of Jesus Christ, that is to say the Roman Catholic Church, taught not only in terms of doctrine and dogma, but morals as well. In my chapter on the ancient world, I noted that the morality of the ancient Greeks and Romans, most especially in the sexual sphere, was predominantly one of externals, of appearances rather than substance. What mattered was one's outward conformity, not one's internal disposition. Christianity changed all that with its emphasis on the formation of an upright conscience to correspond to one's external actions and behavior. Its goal, according to St. Paul, is to create a new man in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4:22-24. The threefold fountainheads for the early church's teachings on sexual morality are the natural law, holy scripture, and tradition. Sex within marriage, which has as its primary purpose the procreation and education of offspring, was the only illicit use of the sexual function. All other sexual acts, including masturbation, fornication, adultery, and prostitution, were deemed illicit, that is, gravely sinful. Acts of sodomy, especially pederasty, in addition to being illicit, carried a special onus as they were not only contrary to reason, as is all sin, but also contrary to nature, and therefore acts against the author of nature, who is God. Sodomy, either in its broadest definition, which encompasses all same-sex acts, or in its narrowest sense of anal in narrow senses, anal penetration has always been condemned by the church with homosexual acts involving violence and or the corruption of minors pederasty bringing the harshest censor. The church's condemnation of sodomy is based first and foremost on sodomy as a sin against God, a sin of self-idolatry and self-corruption. That is why, especially in the early church and during the Middle Ages, the practice of sodomy was commonly linked to pagan religious rites and temple prostitution and to heretical sects and teachings, including Gnosticism and Kabbalistic Judaism, and later the Monarchian and Albigensian heresies. Old Testament. References to same-sex acts are to be found in be found both in the Old Testament, which records God's relations with man before the Incarnation, and the New Testament, which contains a compendium of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles, as recorded by the evangelists and other apostles. However, most references to sexual sins are found in Holy Scripture are found within the context of a man-woman relationship involving acts of fornication, incest, rape, and adultery. 
were references to homosexual acts to appear, they are always condemned as grievous sins and an abomination before the Lord. In the Old Testament, in addition to the universally acknowledged scriptural condemnation of homosexual acts found in the book of Genesis, which records God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities of the plain, other references to the abominable vice of sodomy or unnatural lust can be found in the books of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Judges, Kings, and Wisdom. The following is a sampling from Genesis 19, 1 to 13, 24 to 25. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of the city, and seeing he rose up and went to meet them, and worshipped prostrate on the ground, and said, I beseech you, my lords, turn into the house of your servant and lodge there, wash your feet, and in the morning you shall go on your way. And they said, No, but we will abide in the street. He pressed them very much to turn in unto him, and when they were come into his house, he made them a feast, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they went to bed, the men of the city beset the house with young and old, all the people together. And they called Lot and said to him, Where are the men that came to thee at night? Bring them out hither, that we may know them. Lot went out to them, and shut the door after him, and said, do not do so, I beseech you, my brethren. Do not commit this evil. I have two daughters who as yet have not known man. I will bring them out to you and abuse them as, as, as it shall please you, so that you do no evil to these men, because they are under the shadow of my roof. But they said, Get thee back thither. And again thou camest in, and they said they, As a stranger, was it to be a judge? Therefore we will afflict these more than them. And they pressed them very violently upon Lot, and they were even at the point of breaking open the doors. And behold, the men put out their hand and drew Lot unto them and shut the door. And them that were without they struck with blindness from the least to the greatest, so that they could not find the door. And they said to Lot, Hast thou here any of thine son-in-law or sons or daughters all that are thine bring them out of this city for we know where we will destroy this place because their cry has grown loud before the lord who has sent us to destroy them and the lord raised rained upon sodom and gomorrah brimstone and fire from the lord of heaven and he destroyed these cities and all the country about all the inhabitants of the cities and all things that spring from the earth, Genesis 19, 1 to 13, 24 to 25. From Leviticus 18:20, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, because it is an abomination. Thou shalt not copulate with any beast, neither shalt thou be defiled with it. A woman shall not lie down to a beast, nor copulate with it, because it is a heinous crime. If any one be with a man as with a woman, both have committed an abomination. Let them be put to death, their blood be upon them. If there, there shall be no horror among the daughters of Israel, nor whoremonger, sodomite, nor male prostitute among the sons of Israel. From Judges, there was a certain Levite who dwelt on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took a wife of 
Bethlehem, Judah. So they passed upon, passed by Jebus and went on their journey, and the sun went down upon them when they were by Gabah, which is the tribe of Benjamin. And they turned in, into it to lodge there. And when they were come in, they set, sat in the street of the city, for no one would receive them to lodge. And behold, they saw an old man turning out of the field and from the work in the evening. And he was also of Mount Ephraim and dwelt as a stranger in the Gabah. But the men of that country were the children of Germany. And the old man answered him, Peace be with you, peace be with thee. I will furnish all things that are necessary. Only I beseech thee, stay not in the street. <clears throat> While they were making merry and refreshing their bodies with meat and drink, after the labor of the journey, the men of that city, the sons of Belial, that is, without yoke, and beset the old man's house and began to knock at the door, calling to the master of the house and saying, Bring forth the men that came into thy house, that we may abuse him. And the old man went out to them and said, Do not so, my brethren, do not so wickedly, because this man is come to my lodging. Cease, I pray you, this folly. I have a maiden daughter, and this man hath a concubine wife. I will have, bring them out to you, and you may humble them and satisfy your lust. Only I beseech you, commit not this crime against nature on the man. They would not be satisfied with his words, which the man seeing, which the man seeing brought out his concubine wife to them and abandoned her to their wickedness. And when they had abused her all the night, they let her go in the morning. Judges 19, 1, 14, 16, 20, 22 to 25. From the third book of Kings. And Roboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Roboam was one and forty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord chose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name before. And his mother's name was Nama in Amanalus. The and Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and provoked him above all that their fathers had done, and their, in their sins which they committed. For they also built them altars and statues, and groves upon every high hill and under every green tree. There were also the effeminate Catamites, or men addicted to unnatural lust, in the land, and they did according to all the the abominations of the people when the Lord had destroyed before the face of the children of Israel. 3 Kings 14, 21 to 24. So in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, reigned Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned one and forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Bethlehem, and Asa did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, as did David his father. And he took away the effeminate out of the land, and he removed all the filth of the idols which his fathers had made. 3 Kings 15, 9-12 From the fourth book of Kings, 
Josias, Josias was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned only one and thirty years in Jerusalem. The name of his mother was Idida, the daughter of Hadiah of Besachath, 4 Kings 22.4. And the king commanded Halcius, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers, to cast out of the temple of the Lord all vessels that had been made for Baal and for the grove and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burnt them without Jerusalem in the valley of Cedron, and he carried the ashes of them to Bethel. He destroyed also the pavilions of the effeminate Sodomites, which were in the house of the Lord, for which the women wove, as it were, little dwellings for the grove. 4 Kings 23.7 For wisdom, from wisdom, but to God the wicked and his wickedness are hateful, alike, forgetfulness of God, defiling of souls, changing of mere, changing of nature, unnatural lust, disorder in marriage, and the irregularity of adultery and uncleanness. For the worship of abominable idols is the cause and the beginning and end of all evil. Wisdom 14, 9, 26 to 27. New Testament. In the writings of St. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, St. Peter, Prince of the Apostles, and St. Jude, one of the twelve apostles who invade against the heretical dogma and practices of the Simonians, Nicolaites, and Gnostics, the New Testament condemnation of the unnatural vice becomes even more explicit. St. Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans at the Greek city of Corinth, whose very name at the time of the apostles was synonymous with corruption and vice, especially that of sodomy. Although it was not the first of the epistle, of his epistles in the order of time, it has always been placed first by the church because of the sublimity and universality of its message. It is special relevance that not only does St. Paul condemn homosexual acts as being sinful in themselves, but that they may also serve as a recompense for error. As virtue is its own reward, so acts of disobedience to God bring with them the bitter fruit of vice. The first epistle to the Romans, But I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Because that when, we, when they knew God, they have not glorified him as God or given thanks, but became vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. For professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of the image of a corruptible man and a bird and a four-footed beast and of creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up to the desires of their heart unto uncleanness to dishonor their own bodies among themselves. Who hath the who changed the truth of God into a lie, and who and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever, Amen. For this cause delivered, for this cause God delivered them up to shameful affections, for their women have changed the natural use into that which is against nature, and in, the, in, in like manner the men also, leaving the natural use of women, have burned in their lust 
one towards another, men with men working that which is filthy, and receiving themselves a recompense which was due in their to their error. Foolish, dissolute, without affection, without fidelity, without mercy. Romans 1, 16, 21 to 27, 31. The first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Know ye not that the unjust shall not possess the kingdom of God? Do not err, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor err, liars with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor tailors, nor extortioners, shall possess the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, the first epistle of St. Paul to Timothy. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the just man, but for the unjust and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the wicked and defiled, for murderers of father and murderers of mothers, it's for manslayers, for fornicators, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and whatever other thing is contrary to sound doctrine. First Timothy 1, 9-10. The second epistle of St. Peter the Apostle. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there shall be among you lying teachers, who shall bring in sects of perdition, and deny the Lord who brought who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and reducing the cities of the Sodomites and of the Gomorites into ashes, condemned them to be overthrown, making them an example to those that should act that should after act wickedly, and delivered just lot oppressed by the injustice and lewd conversation of the wicked, for in sight and hearing he was just, dwelling among them who have who from thy who from day to day vex the just soul with unjust works. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly from temptation, but to reserve the just unjust unto the day of judgment to be tormented. Second Peter two one six to nine. The Catholic Epistle of St. Jude the Apostle. Dearly beloved, taking all care to write unto you concerning your common salvation, I was under a necessity to write unto you to beseech you to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. For certain men are secretly entered in who were written of long ago unto judgment, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God into riotousness and denying the only sovereign ruler and our Lord Jesus Christ. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities in like manner have, having given themselves to fornication and going after other flesh, were made an example, suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Jude 1, 3-4-7. Instruction, correction, and reform, an act of mercy. And as the Church's eternal mission is the salvation of souls, so her condemnation of all sin, including homosexual acts, is always conjoined with that of God's infinite mercy and the need for repentance and reform of one's life. To deliberately indulge in a serious vice places one's soul in danger of eternal damnation and renders the sinner incapable of any virtue on a supernatural level. 
direct reputation combined with fraternal correction in the matter, therefore, is an act of mercy, not only for the individual caught in the vice, but as a preservative to keep others from falling into the same pit. Although sexual sins are generally a matter of private confession, at different periods of the church, the sin of sodomy has been a reserved sin, that is, the penitent was required to confess to the pope or to a bishop. From St. Peter to St. Felix I, the early popes, together with the early church fathers, drew up on church general decrees and later canons and pastoral and penitential codes and instituted a series of synods and councils by which their decrees in matters of faith and morals, including the immorality of all homosexual acts, were made known to the universal church. At the Spanish Council of Elvira, 305 to 306, the church condemned homosexual acts, especially pederasty, excluding from communion, even at the point of death, articulo mortis, one who does violence to boys, the to Protores Priorium, at the Council of Ancyra, Ancyra, held in Asia Minor and 314, Canons 16 and 17, prescribed heavy penances by both age and condition for both sodomy and bestiality, and bishops were ordered to root out these practices from among the people. Special provisions, including 15 years of penance and a five-year period of probation before being reunited with the communion of the faithful and receiving Holy Communion were made for those who contributed, who committed these acts before the age of 20. For those aged 20 and over and married, the penance was extended to 25 years, and for the married over 50 years, the grace of, the, of Holy Communion was reserved until the time of death. In practical terms of letting the punishment fit the crime, harsher punishment for both laymen and clerics were applied to sexual crimes involving sacrilege, force, and the seduction and corruption of the young. Offenders, including defrocked clerics, who were often turned over to public authorities for punishment. As a general rule, however, if given a choice, offenders found guilty of sodomy preferred to be tried by the church rather than secular courts as the former was held to be more restrained and compassionate than the latter. Early church fathers condemned the vice of sodomy. Among the fathers of the early church who specifically condemned sodomy and pederasty in their writings and sermons were St. Athanasius, St. John Chrysostom, and St. Augustine. Of Emperor Hadrian's homosexual affair with the young and beautiful Antinous, St. Athanasius, 296-273, the Bishop of Alexandria and confessor and doctor of the church and slayer of Arianism, wrote in 350 A.D., and such a one is the new god Antinous, that was the emperor Hadrian's minion and the slave of his unlawful pleasure, a wretch whom that but whom that that worshipped in obedience to the emperor's command, and for fear of his vengeance, knew and confessed to be a man, and not a good or deserving man neither, but a sordid and loathsome instrument of his master's lust. This shameless and scandalous boy died in Egypt when the court was there, and forthwith his imperial majesty issued out an order 
or edict strictly requiring and commanding his loving subjects to acknowledge his departed pay to deity and to pay him his quota of divine reverences and honors in such a resolution and act which did not which did more effectually publish and testify to the world how entirely the emperor's unnatural passion survived the foul object of it and how much his master was devoted to memory that it recorded his own crime and condemnation immortalized his infamy and shame and bequeathed to mankind a lasting and notorious specimen of the true origin and extraction of all idolatry. St. Athanasius did not hesitate to label his arch-enemy Arius, the handsome deposed priest of the Alexandrian church, as effeminate. Arius's heretical doctrine was championed by the powerful eunuch Eusebius, grand chamberlain of the Byzantine imperial court under the emperor Constantine and later his son Constantius I. St. John Chrysostom 344-407 was the, the patriarchate of Constantinople and a doctor of the church, not famous for his great oratory and sermons, was unrelenting in his public attack on the unnatural and diabolic desires of the Sodomites. He lashed out at the Sodomites who had devised a barren coitus, not having for his end broke the procreation of children and attacked the pederastia, the pederasts who came to the church to look with lustful curiosity among, upon handsome youth. He described sodomy as an unpardonable insult to nature and a sin that destroys the soul inside the body. Likewise, St. Augustine, the great bishop of Hippo and convert from Manichaeanism, also warned the against sodomy, declaring the vice should be punished wherever and whenever it was it was appeared. Offenses against nature and are everywhere and at all times to be held in detestation and should be punished. Such offenses, for example, were those of the sodomites, and even if all nations should commit them, they would all be judged guilty of the same crime by the divine law which has not made men that they should ever abuse one another in that way. For the fellowship that should be between God and us is violated whenever that nature of which he is the, he is the author is polluted by perverted lust. With, with special reference to St. Paul's first epistle to the Romans, Romans 126, St. Augustine observed, Still thou dost punish these sins which men commit against themselves, because even when they stop, even when they sin against thee, they are also committing impiety against their own souls. Iniquity gives itself the lie, either by corrupting or by perverting that nature which thou hast made and ordained. And they do this by an immoderate use of lawful things, or by lustful desire for things forbidden, as against nature, or when they are guilty of sin by raging with heart and voice against thee, rebelling against thee, back kicking against the pricks, or when they cast aside respect for human society and take 
audacious delight in conspiracies and feuds according to their private likes and dislikes. St. Basil and the Pope, St. Basil and Pope, St. Siricius on homosexuality and the religious life. With an all-male clergy, it is not surprising that the issue of homosexuality and pederasty in the religious life should have been a matter of serious consideration and deliberation by the early church fathers, by early church fathers. Then as now, the problem Predatory homosexuality in clerical circles was more of a reflection on the general moral corruption of the day rather than the specific feeling of clerics and monks. However, if the instruction of if the instructions of Saint Basil were the norm, we can surmise that there that were the accused cleric was found guilty of engaging in or attempting to engage in same-sex activities, the consequences were swift and painful. St. Basil of Caesarea, the 4th century patriarch of Eastern monks and one of the four great doctors of the East, held that the cleric or monk who molests youths or boys or is, in, or is caught kissing or committing some uh, turpitude let him be whipped in public, deprived of his crown, tonsure, and after having his head shaved, let his face be covered with spittle, and let him be bound in chains, condemned to six months in prison, after which let him live in a separate cell under the custody of a wise elder with great spiritual experience, let him be subject to prayers, vigils, and manual work always under the guard of two spiritual brothers without being allowed to have any relationship with young people. It should be noted that the exposition of a public flogging which exposed the offending cleric or monk to open ridicule would virtually ensure that the offender would never rise to hold an office in the church. On the question of whether or not a layman who had committed acts of pederasty or sodomy could apply for and receive holy orders, we can refer to the directives on the norms for priestly ordination issued by Pope St. Siricius, 384-399, on 10 February 385. We deem it advisable to establish that just as not everyone should be allowed to do a penance reserved for clerics, so also a layman should never be allowed to ascend to clerical honor after penance and reconciliation, because although they have been purified of the contagion of all sins, those who formerly indulged in a multitude of vices should not receive the instruments to administer the sacraments. Thus any layman having been once caught up in the vice of sodomy in any form, even though he had served out his penance by implication, would not be permitted to enter the clerical state. The text of Pope Siricius's de decree on key aspects of church discipline and clerical celibacy is of special importance because it is the oldest completely preserved papal decretal edict for the authoritative decision of questions of discipline and canon law and reflects the Pope speaking with the consciousness of his supreme ecclesiastical authority and of his pastoral care over all the churches. 
Christian influences in the temporal sphere. Not surprisingly, beginning in the second century and continuing through the late fifth century, the preaching and writings of these early church fathers, combined with the edicts of the early popes in the realm of sexual morality, had made their influence felt in the Roman imperial courts both in the West and in the East. Indeed, the names of many of these early church leaders, particularly those of St. Athanasius, St. John Chrysostom, and St. Ambrose are inscribed for both good and ill in the chronicles of the imperial court of the early empire. The timing was propitious. During these early years of the empire, there was a recurring spirit of stoicism reflected both in the realm of the public and political affairs of the Roman Senate and of the imperial courts and their emperors. Roman jurisprudence reflected this trend so much so that by the time Constantine the Great had ascended the throne in 312, Roman law had already come to view the inveterate sodomite as a danger to both church and state. Homosexual acts, specifically pederasty and homosexual rape, were placed in the category of capital offenses. Thus it was, however, thus it was Roman law influenced by the old Mosaic law and now backed up, now backed by the emerging powerful sect known as Christianity, came to serve as the basis for anti-sodomy legislation in Italy and throughout Europe from the 3rd century until the beginning of the 20th century. On December 16, 342, Constantine's sons, Constantine II and his younger brother Constans, issued a decree making it a capital offense for a married man of his own free will to play the role of a woman, that is, the role of the passive partner in a homosexual liaison. Homosexual prostitution was discouraged, but not totally prohibited. Eunuchs were also exempt from the law, since as castrated males they were viewed as androgynous beings, not real men. The emperor's second son, Constantius II, a protector of Arians and a persecutor of St. Athanasius, also enacted a minor piece of anti-Semitical legislation that severely punished any male who married an effeminate, literally a woman, and then permit his own body to be penetrated by that effeminate male. This rather odd sexual configuration, that is, the marriage of a male marriage of a man to a male eunuch would who would act as would act the part of a wife was an arrangement not unknown at the time. Later emperors of both the Eastern and Western Roman empires reinforced and extended anti sodomy legislation. In the Eastern Empire under the great Emperor Theodosius the First, three seventy nine, three ninety five a small royal decree was twice posted on May 14 and again on August 6, 390 at the Royal Hall of Minerva, a popular gathering place for artisans and actors, stating that any man, including prostitutes and eunuchs, who permitted his body to be used like a woman, anal penetration, would be out consigned to the flames. The death penalty was also instituted for those who forced a male into homosexual prostitution. At that time, Theodosius was under an eight-month public penance 
set by St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, for the massacre of 7,000 citizens of Thessalonica in retaliation for the killing of the emperor's officials. The emperor was also under pressure to rid Rome of the stench of moral corruption and to rid the city of the remaining vestiges of paganism. He vigorously attacked the Arian heretics who denied the divinity of Christ and the followers of Macedonius who impugned the divinity of the Holy Ghost. The ancient writer Palladius sings the praises of the reign of Theodosius in his book The Lossiac History, written in 419 A.D. Theodosius became an intimate of St. Ambrose, who preached his funeral oration and was in attendance at the First General Council of Constantinople under Pope Damasus I in 381. His successor, Arcadius, 395-408, continued to the attack against heresy and paganism, including the closing of the pagan temples at Gaza. To complete the task of his father, in 438, Arcadius' son, Emperor Theodosius II, 408-450, enacted the famous Theodosian Code, 976, ordering the death of all men without distinction, who permitted their bodies to be used like a woman, that is, who assumed the passive role in a homosexual relationship. In 410, while Theodosius II occupied the imperial throne in the east, his brother Honorius, 395-423, was emperor of the Western Empire, and Pope St. Innocent I occupied the chair of Peter. Rome was sacked for the first time by the Goths. Forty-five years later, the Vandals sacked Rome, this time with Pope Leo the Great, the first bishop actually called Pope, at the head of the church. In the West, the figurehead rule of Romulus Augustulus, last in the unbroken line of Roman emperors, came to an end in 476. The Germanic leader, Odeaser of the Heruti, of the Heruli tribe, entered Italy and became king. Although King Odoacer, an Arian, respected the Catholic Church, he did seek to influence the election of the new pope after the death of Pope St. Simplicius, 468-483, to but to no avail. In other parts of Europe, Gaul was taken by the Franks, Burgundians, and Visigoths, and the, Vis the Visigoths and Suevers divided Spain between them. The Vandals took control of North Africa, and Roman Britain fell to the Anglo-Saxons. The so-called Dark Ages had fallen on the West. The Justinian Code. In the Eastern Roman Empire, however, the reign of Byzantine emperors continued until the fall of Constantinople in, in 1453. The greatest of these rulers was of the later empire was Flavius Amicius, Flavius Anicius Julianus Justinianus, known into history as Justinian I. The most enduring legacy to the world of this great Christian emperor was the codification of Roman law that would later serve as a model for the common law system in England and the New World. The Justinian Code, a well-ordered and complete codex of all Roman law, past and present, including the old Theodosian Code with its anti-sodomy laws, appeared in its final and complete form in 534. In keeping with the Christian 
tradition of tempering justice with mercy, and since male homosexual acts were viewed as sins against God as well as in as well as crimes against the state, the supreme penalty of death was applied only to the obdurate and the unrepentant. Although the law provided that the crown was entitled to take independent action, it was the church that exercised a general jurisdiction over homosexual offenders and imposed its own spiritual discipline upon those whom its courts convicted. Under the new constitution, which heavily castigated both blasphemy and homosexuality, if a man was found guilty of engaging in an act of Jesus. An act of peccata contrum natural with another man, he must confess his mortal sin in the presence of the most blessed patriarch and do penance to avert civil punishment. This public confession made it virtually impossible for a layman or cleric found guilty of sodomy from entering the priesthood or religious life or from advancing to a higher ecclesiastical rank in the church. The Justinian Code was particularly effective against the ancient Greek, the ancient Greco-Roman practices of pederasty and homosexual and child prostitution. The development of penitential text in the late 500s and early 600s, the church began to assume a greater role in the judging of sinful acts, some of which, like sodomy, were also held to be crimes against the state. With the rise in the practice of private confession, confessors began to seek out the aid of penitential guides. Held to be Frankish in origin, these penitential texts simply listed and then briefly described the exact nature of the sin in question noting its objective gravity and recommending suitable penances that took into consideration the age of the penitent and any special circumstances surrounding the commission of the act. The lists of various types of homosexual acts were remarkably detailed for the age and included not only those between two men or a man and a boy, but also acts of sodomy committed by a man on a woman. Since the penitentials were simply listings, they cannot be used to indicate the frequency or habitual nature of these sins. Pope St. Gregory the Great condemns homosexual acts and desires. Pope, Saint, Pope Gregory I began his 14-year reign as Supreme Pontiff in 500, the first monk to become Pope, with his liber pastoralis curé on the role of the bishop as the preeminent physician of souls entrusted by God to his care and supervision, a doctrine he practiced as well as preached. His sermons, based largely on Holy Scripture, drew immense crowds and set the pattern for many famous preachers of the Middle Ages. His indelible influence on the areas of church doctrine, organization, and discipline make him one of the most remarkable figures in ecclesiastical history. Pope Gregory held a distinctive view of church-state relations. He saw the imperial government centered at Constantinople together with the church as forming a united whole. At the same time, each had its own sphere of control. 
one ecclesiastical and the other secular. Still, the Pope did not hesitate to call upon the crown as protector of the church and keeper of the peace, not only to suppress schism, heresy, or idolatry, but also to enforce discipline among monks and clergy. Pope Gregory's teaching on sodomy did not break new ground, but rather reflected the summing up of the teachings of the earlier fathers of the East and West at the beginning of the Middle Ages on the nature of the crime. Using the Old Testament text from Genesis 19.1-25 describing the terrible fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Pope declared, Brimstone calls to mind the foul odors of the flesh, as sacred scripture itself confirms when it speaks of the rain of fire and brimstone poured by the Lord upon Sodom. He had decided to punish it in the crimes of the flesh, and the very type of punishment emphasized the shame of that crime, since brimstone exhales, stench and fire burns. It was therefore just that the sodomite burning with perverse desires that originated from the foul that originated from the foul odor of the flesh should perish at the same time by fire and brimstone and so that through this just punishment they must realize the evil perpetrated under the impulse of a perverse desire. The reader will note that Pope Gregory not only condemned this act, the act of, of condemned the act of sodomy as a crime, but also denounced the desires of the sodomites as perverse. Thus, lustful homosexual thoughts and desires willfully entertained are not only sinful, even where the act is not carried out, but they are unnatural and perverse as well. Sodomy is a vice and crime in the Middle Ages. Throughout the Middle Ages, including the reign of Charlemagne, King of the Franks, 768-814, and the Holy Roman Emperor, 800-814, as and well beyond the moral and legal status of sodomy, remained essentially the same. The Church always viewed sodomy as a special evil and always a mortal sin, and when voluntarily entered into, the state considered sodomy a crime, although the death penalty was normally reserved for sodomitical acts involving the seduction of the young, acts of violence against homosexual rape, or blasphemy in such cases involving clerics and monks. The offenders were first defrocked, punished by the Church, and then turned over to the Crown for final sentencing. The Spanish Visigothic Oath of 600, Lex Visigothica, provided for the particularly harsh punishment in ordering homosexual offenders who carnally united with men to be castrated prior to death. If married, their goods were to be immediately inherited by their children or heirs. At the Council of Toledo in 693, Edgica, the Gothic king of Spain, exhorted the clergy to strenuously fight against homosexual practices and to decisively extirpate this obscene crime committed by men to keep who sleep with men 
whose terrible conduct corrupts the grace of being of honest living and provokes the wrath of the supreme judge of heaven. St. Peter Damien, 11th century moral reformer. The alleged warning of St. Peter Damien, 778-842, Archbishop of Vienna, France, to Pope Eugene II, that your brothers, the Archcardinals, must learn by your example not to keep young, long-haired boys and seductive men in their midst, is probably an indication of the degree to which the moralists of the clergy had fallen by the 9th century in medieval Europe. For the next 300 years, until the era of the Gregorian reforms of the mid-12th century, wholesale violations of the vows of chastity by priests, monks and nuns, and the rise of sodomy and pederasty among religious ranked second only to the crisis of usury and simony as major problems facing the Catholic Church. However, it appears that whenever Holy Mother Church has had a great need for a special kind of saint for a particular age, in his infinite mercy has never failed to fill that need. And so in the year 1007 AD, a boy child was born to a noble but poor family in the ancient Roman city of Ravenna, who would become a doctor of the church, a precursor of the Hildebrandine reform in the church, and a key figure in the moral and spiritual reformation of the lax and incontinent clergy of his time. And this is all my reading right now. I'll continue in my next episode. And so I'll end my podcast here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.